should be our motto for the art department, don't you think? That's a good motto. We have no art. We do everything as well as we can. I think so. We have no art, period. And then the second sentence, we do everything as well as we can. Period. Hello, this is Christian, founder of the Chicago Graphic Design Club and host of Underscore. And you're listening to Sundays with Karita, a 10-episode mini-series where I'll be joined by my co-host, artist, designer, and friend, John Hatherley. Together, we'll be discussing Sister Karita Kent's Immaculate Heart College Art Department Rules, a set of rules and principles designed to guide you toward creative and purpose-led work. To learn more about the work of Sister Karita Kent, visit the Karita Art Center at karita.org. Rule number six, nothing is a mistake. There is no win and no fail. There's only make. And this is probably one of my favorite rules going through all 10 of them, specifically because it kind of blows up everything. Yeah. Thinking that there's no mistake. To me, it extends even beyond the creative world into a lot of more philosophical things. But I think starting off, how do you see this as a, as a teacher? Um, how do you apply that sort of idea and that sort of thinking about nothing being a mistake and learning from those sorts of things when there's such a, an emphasis on getting things perfect in the world right now? Yeah. So I was talking with uh, a friend of mine yesterday and we were discussing, we weren't discussing this rule, but we were talking about the classroom and how sometimes students are very outcome driven and they want to jump to the answer or the solution really, really quick. And that's all they're driven by outcomes. And I think, sure, that's that's a fine approach depending on what you're doing and the work and all that type of stuff. But we're talking about creativity, design, experimentation. I think those things can't be outcome driven. Or and it, and if they are outcome driven, they're not. It's a non-binary outcome that is not good or bad. It's mm -hmm. just this is what it is. Um, and then if it's something you're satisfied with, great. If it's not, then you just you just keep you just keep iterating. And I think iteration is such a huge part of of the creative process. Uh, just continuing to constantly do things differently. I don't want to, I don't even want to use the word constantly improve because right, right. improve uses that, like, you know, it's a unit of measurements. And I think stemming away from that unit of measurements of good or, or bad is, I don't know, it's important to teach, especially in a classroom setting. I look at a lot of what Sister Creta's aesthetics kind of were in this idea of, you know, there's a lot of tearing and a lot of offset things and that sort of emphasis on things not being so calculated, I guess. Mm -hmm. But on the same side, or on the, or I guess on the flip side, there's that tension that I see because it's so well crafted for, for lack of a better word right now. Yeah. So I guess there is that balance though, between the chaos, right. And everything being a mistake and mm -hmm some thinking or some sort of through line that connects it all. Yeah. I find it fascinating. I think the, the only mistake to make is to try to avoid making mistakes. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Because to your point, 
her work is very to me it feels very um very visceral like if i were to look at it in person i just imagine i've never seen any of her work in person actually but i imagine that it would feel very like i would want to touch it and like look at it from like different angles and and you know experience it with my hands and i think that's what that's to me that's what speaks to me about her work is that there's this human components of it that celebrates the imperfect and in a world like today we we and, and for very good reasons like we emphasize legibility accessibility these things that are important but also i like that her work sort of respects the viewer in the sense that the viewer has to like you know fill in the blanks because sometimes like a word is like cut out there's just certain words that are like that are that go off the page and the user or I, I can't believe I just said user. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Uh, okay. <laughs> Wait, there's no mistake. Uh <laughs> okay. but yeah, the, the the viewer has to to put in the effort to look to look at something and to and to actually engage with it. One of my friends, his website, he has black text on a black background. And in order to know what his text says, you have to highlight it and copy and paste it into like you know, your text edit and to be able to read it. To me, that is awesome. I love that. How rude. <laughs> no, it's not rude. I feel I feel like it's <laughs> it's it's making the assumption that I could I'm wise enough to know what to highlight yeah. and to, yeah. to copy and, and I love that, you know. Another thing I whenever I'm looking at a lot of her work and just work that's um seemingly not fully there is that there's space for me to have my own meaning in it too. There's like a whole other layer that I can think about, but um, in a little bit, I think we're kind of talking about two different design worlds in and of themselves, where one is um, the user experience of like digital interfaces, which is one niche thing versus a, a general approach to thinking about design and thinking about not just student relationships, but client relationships too. You know, with, with students, there's this idea that you're in a space of experimentation, at least to a degree, uh, maybe more so than in a commercial setting. And I know that once you get out into the quote unquote real world or whatever, that a lot of that experimentation, the idea is that it happened in school and that it's no longer relevant. And that, that there's a way of doing it and that you just have to learn that way to work within the industry the way it is. And there's a lot of that pushing to get things to the average. Um, so how do we as design professionals push clients or yeah, convey that idea and that, that, that value of the process part of it, because even thinking about AI and how we're going to be accelerating the, the more easily done things in our process, which means that junior designers are going to have even more struggles trying to get into the industry. How do we create space for the junior design worlds to do it? How do we create space for that process to happen the way we still want to when we're, everyone is still talking about, oh, we can do it even faster now because of AI? Yeah, I so one of my uh, absolute like design heroes is Tibor Kalman and alongside his wife, they had a, a studio called M&Co. And I read that one of the things that they would do is they would have their corporate clients, you know, they would pay the bills and all that type of stuff. But then 
they would have their experimental projects where they might do an album cover or something, something that maybe wasn't so profit driven. And then every year they would send to their clients like a collection of like, Hey, these are the work. These are the, these are the projects that we're doing outside of our client work. This is what we could do for you. If you let us. This is what you could have had. Yeah. And I love that. And I think sometimes we put so much pressure on the client to let us do what we, we, we think they should let us do. Right. But it's, it's, it's not until you actually show and you demonstrate and you like tell a story of, Hey, I know we did this, but like, check this other thing out, you know? Um, and yeah, and just having a conversation around that. One of my, one of my mentors, um, really good friend, Jeremy, I, I, I worked with him, um, on a few projects. And one of the things that he would always tell me is let's give the client the best work possible and have them tell us no. And I think that's a great approach. I think sometimes we think about it in the reverse. It's like, let's give them what they're going to say yes to first. Right. But with him is like, no, like we know that they're going to say no to this. Um, but let's just show it to them so that we could then, you know, have a starting point, like a, a, a baseline that we've now established. Yeah. Those self-initiated projects uh, are my very favorite because you're determining what value is outside of just a currency exchange. I think that you can get to a truer version of, of real value in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. And I think as designers, like we tend to be, we tend to be very opinionated. So I think we sit here and complain about like the industry and how they don't let us make mistakes and how it's too fast and all this stuff. But I don't know, we, we could do the stuff that we want to do on the side and and see how that could translate into our professional work somehow. I don't know. I, yeah, I 100% agree with you. I feel that if you're doing work professionally that you're not 100% in line with, then there's only one way to start doing it any other way. And that's to start doing it yourself for yourself and, and finding yeah. what, what you're passionate about. But I also, like, as I was saying that, like, I agree with that 100%. And I try to do that. But I also cringe a little bit when I said that because there's this narrative of you should always have this like side hustle and you should always have this extracurricular thing, which I'm all for. But I know that that is a narrative that, I don't know, causes a lot of anxiety for some people because it's like, you know, why do I have to have all of these extracurricular things just to feel satisfied? And I think in the last episode, we were talking a little bit about mental health too and just to bring it up again, because I think we should probably bring it up in every episode for eternity because it's not talked about enough. But if you're not, hmm, how do I even put that? My happiness isn't determined by the things that happen in my life on a daily day. I determine I'm going to be happy. And then by experiencing my life in a happy way, the things that happened to me were good. I think making that switch in my life whenever it happened um, was when I started making work I liked, was when I started having better relationships in my life. Um, I don't think that the outside things in your life are going to determine your happiness. 
I look at the back end of that statement, you know, of you know, nothing is a mistake. There's no win and no fail. There's only make. Mm -hmm. And that idea of making as a creative speaks to me personally. Whether I'm working or not, I'm always kind of in that place of making. Yeah. Do you do you have any any story to share with us about a time that you failed, but looking back now, you actually didn't fail? I had a client one time. This was when I very like when I first started getting into the industry, and I found this freelance client of some sorts that owned a, a shop and the shop wasn't doing well and it was probably going to go under pretty quickly, but they thought that by having a new e-commerce website that they would miraculously get saved in a few days. And I told them like that your, your timeline's way off. It, it takes way longer to make a, a website like that. And um, I got myself into a situation where I was way over my head around building a site that I had no business trying to make. Um, and by the time it got to the point where we had to sever that relationship. Uh, I uncovered, I thought that I was going to be doing like a hundred product website. And it turned out it was like in the tens of thousands and that, and that, and that wasn't communicated and uh, severing that relationship. I thought that I had just totally, it was, I just, I thought it was all my fault and that I was just a horrible person. And they kept sending me email after email about how terrible of a human being I was. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a, I'm a horrible person. I just like ruined the person's life. And I was in therapy years later and, and uncovered some things that that wasn't really the case that I had, I tried my best to do something in that because of information that I wasn't given that it wasn't necessarily just my fault. Um, right. You know, you walk into situations where you think you can do something and but looking back, uh, that was a total win. Um, I learned a lot. <laughs> um, and I learned how to how to say no and how to be cognizant of not every situation is a good thing and that sort of stuff. And I think it just it keeps happening over and over in my life that anytime I think something is going to get is going to be a bad thing that it never worked really. I, don't know. I can always see the silver lining in life now. What about you? Um, let's see. I would say my first job out of college, my full, my first full-time job out of college, I thought that my value as a designer was based on the opinion of my boss. And I thought that if he, whatever he thought of me, everyone in the world was going to think of me because he was president of this company. That's what he referred to himself as the president. And I felt like I... At times, like I picked the wrong career and like it was my fault and, and it was just there's a lot of like shame and just guilt around my contributions to the work. And yeah, it was just awful. And it and it wasn't until I like left that space, that place that I realized that there's different um leadership styles and that different ways of working and that that is not like his way is not the only way you know and yeah like I, I would make yeah I would I would make mistakes like we, I, I I mean I work with people today that make mistakes all the time and they're right. people that are you know above me um and I just thought like you should never make any mistake at work like everything should always be perfect and it took me 
took me a few years to realize and like to recognize in other people like everyone's making mistakes all the time and nothing too terrible is happening everything is a mistake right yeah exactly it's like we're all making mistakes like you don't there's like you could get a very micro and there's like little tiny mistakes but then like you start zooming out there's like there's like a hundred mistakes, but then you zoom out now. There's like three mistakes, and then eventually you're like, oh, everything is just one big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the I don't know, like I don't know much about math, but like the the powers of ten, um, or something along those lines. Yeah, are just yeah. In math, you it's you find the probability that something is certain, right? You don't actually find the truest result, like when you get into calculus and in higher levels of math it's more about the probability of things and i think that's a lot what this rule speaks to is some truths in in the universe that we're all perfectly imperfect and that realizing that makes it all way better these are fun christian i'm really enjoying these i think we're over halfway through with what is it number six now yeah this is six so we got four left it'll be it'll be sad when we finish we'll have to um we'll have to celebrate the transition (laughs) (laughs) i hope you have a great rest of your sunday christian i look forward to rule number seven do you know what it is by chance yeah rule number seven is the only rule is work if you work it will lead to something it's the people who do all of the work all of the time who eventually catch on to things that's rule number seven and I promise you, we're not going to talk about hustle culture, but we'll definitely be talking about work. I hate hustle culture um, so much. Yeah. It's I just hate the word too, like hustle, just yeah, the way it sounds. Hustle. It already makes me anxious. I don't know. It makes me think of like a train or something, like a something something I don't like. It makes me feel like it's something not human. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and I'll see you see you next Sunday. <laughs>